wounds are infectious Like a dog scratched ear The pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. Hello, my name is Michael. Welcome to the Box Tunnel Pod. And I hope you are all doing okay. Uh, January is a really tough month. Uh, remember the days when we had being human to get us through it, eh? Yeah, it's a really tough month. It's cold. I've had the most awful damn flu for virtually two weeks now, and I'm still on the tail end of it now. Uh, I spoke to Daniel a few days ago, and I was still a bit in it then. So I, yeah, apologies, my throat, as as is now, sounds a bit iffy. So yes, it was a pleasure talking to Daniel O'Hara about his time on the show. Daniel joined the show at the end of Series 3, and it's literally the next two episodes that we are covering in the full moon cycles. Though the Heavens Fall and, of course, the Wolf-Shaped Bullet. So he was there for all three Welsh series of the show, and he also directed the last ever episode of Being Human. As well as that, he has more recently directed the Harlan Coburn adaptations on Netflix. They are Stay Close, The Stranger and Safe. Uh, also on his CV is uh, Silent Witness, Doctor Who, The Game and plenty more. So yeah, it was a pleasure talking to Daniel just to get his behind the scenes knowledge and experience from his time on the show. He is also, as we speak, finalising his work on The Red King, which is written by Toby Whithouse. And that is coming to our screen shortly. We chat a little bit about that towards the end of the interview. Uh, here's my chat with Daniel O'Hara. I obviously knew we were we were aiming for this, so I've gone back and watched a lot. Oh, brilliant! Episodes. So that was good. So hopefully, some stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's made it's quite a while ago now. Yeah, blast from the past, I bet. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the thing. I think a lot of you know, fans of things, whether it's music or TV or films, we, we get so attached to it. And so, you know, we know the quotes from it. We know yeah. what appears in certain scenes, what music appears in certain scenes. But the actors and directors and writers don't, probably don't have that same attachment because they move on I to an, another piece I, of work. I, I think, I think uh, yeah, I know, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, think, I, I think you'd be surprised how invested people are in, in when you've got a job like this that is just a dream job you know pe- people are invested in it and yeah they do care, and they do remember stuff and um and 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 actually genuinely being human more than more than most is it was you know it was a really special sort of show to work on a real family atmosphere in the crew um yeah i do get that impression from what a lot of people have said sometimes you can listen to that and go oh no that's just what that's that to speak, but it does seem like from being human that it did have that. Yeah, I think because I, so I obviously joined yeah, later into it, um, and I think like I think the crew were quite protective of like the lead actors obviously were younger when they started. They were yeah. you know, and the crew I think were quite protective, and then that sort of happened again with this with the second wave, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, no, I understand that, and and I, I guess maybe they were probably slightly more protective because it was a BBC free show and not like. BBC One or 
it wasn't the hyper so yeah it, it must be kind of weird for you talking about a show from 12 years ago or is it, it, it is, did some of it when you were watching it click you right back to to directing it definitely yeah it was it was so much fun to work on being human it was it was quite a formative show for me i did i mean i i done a few things at that stage but it was certainly um it was certainly a show where it, because of the content of it, 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 it there was a lot of freedom the creative freedom really in terms of how you shot it and how you directed it and um, so it really you know it was an opportunity to go and you know bring your best work and do you know do what, what's your sort of dream version of this scene well then go and do it you know yeah. I'll, I'll be with the sort of budgetary and schedule restrictions that you had on a, on a low budget show um, so I you know we're always again I joined in season three so so there was already a fan base I mean I was a fan of the show when I went to work on it and um, so uh, yeah I'm not surprised that I mean I'm delighted that there's you know that people are still talking about it I'm not surprised there's a fondness for it and um, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't live more on a on a streamer or no. even iPlayer or something. I'm surprised it's not more accessible. Like you talk to people about it now who are a bit younger, maybe haven't seen it, and it's hard to track it down. Yeah, I mean, I think BBC about five years ago put it on back on for a bit, yeah. and it was on Netflix for a while. But yeah, it, it is strange. The only thing it's on now at the minute is ITVX, which is quite frustrating to to watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, it's good. It's on, on somewhere. Yeah, I guess that's also a license. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Um, I have actually had the honour of being directed by you. Have you really? Yeah, I, I, mean, I can't. I'm offended. You can't remember this big moment in your in your life. Oh <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, me and quite a few bloggers were around quite a lot. You probably hated us because we were probably annoyed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was on Barry Seafront. Oh, no, seafront, go on, yeah. Yeah, and it was when Catherine Prescott was being chased by that guy. Yeah, I remember And, well. yeah, so for a while, me and me and my friend Becca were sat on a bench next to a wall that she jumped over, and we were like, are we in the way, are we in the way? And everyone was like, no, no, you're fine. And then there was a shot, we were in the distance, walking, you know, because there were so many takes back and forward, you know, in the distance as she was running, and she trips him up. And, um... What I found funny, because Michael Socia turned up for that scene and Catherine Prescott runs to him and then that scene kind of ends. But then you see it on on the final final show and there's a moment literally before that where he's talking to Captain Hatch in a totally different location. And, and that's the thing that fascinated me about like going to film and just seeing all this, seeing the behind the scenes the and jigsaw, seeing... The jigsaw getting put together. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And just how like... Almost like calm, everyone was like, you know, we got to do this, we got to shoot this, and and it was also everyone was so professional and everyone was so like, let's just get on with our work. It yeah. was it was it was amazing to see. Yeah, well, that's good, and, and that's great. You're, 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 you're in it. That was, I remember that because that was well, that was an interesting one because yeah, you're talking about the jigsaw. So we had um, a hotel location um, that I. Th- think was somewhere near Newport I can't quite remember but the, an actual a, a, a sort of a, a hotel that was out of use which we used for the interiors and then 
we brought, uh, so we obviously shot some stuff on the sort of seafront there at Barry, and we we brought a couple of times, we, we had like a little facade for the front. Yeah, door. I was going to ask if you remembered that. That was yeah. lovely, the facade, yeah. So 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 I think we maybe used it in that scene. I can't remember. We certainly had some tables laid out as if there was as if it was sort of seating outside the hotel. And then um, we definitely used it in, in the when Captain Hatch was exiting. We, there's a shot from inside looking back out as he goes out through the door. Um, so yeah, so that's I mean again that's the real that's where you get people viewing and they scratch their heads going, oh, hang on a minute, that I don't never don't know that where that place is in Barry, but it's not there because it's <laughs> you know twenty miles away. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and how is exciting is that element of world building as a director? Because obviously, when we sit down and watch a TV show, it's all connected. We don't think about that's not related to that part. That's not related to that part. That was filmed on a different day. But how how is it bringing those things from the page to life? Yeah, I think I think you have to you have to be able to make that leap and not be too bogged down in. You know, in realism, and you, not not realism is the wrong word, but you learn, you learn how things like that can help you, you know, piece something together because the end product is is what matters. Yeah. And if and if that if you take that from three different sources and put it together, then then and that works as a finished thing, then fantastic. Now, what you do have to factor in is how's that going to affect some of the practicalities? How is that going to affect, for example? You know the actors like if you have you know it could be you've got the like if we had done a doorstep scene you know we shot one actor looking into the hotel and the other actor looking out of the street in barry is that going to ruin the performances in the scene because the actors are actually doing it separately if if it's an emotional scene and it's going to ruin the scene or, or it's not going to be as good then then you kind of should come up with another way of, of doing that yeah but in something a bit more technical where there's geography and, and stuff then 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 as long as you understand how the jigsaw goes together it's it's yeah it's great to be you know to be able to pull bits from anywhere yeah i mean it, you'd have to be a real bore to think something like oh the the cafe on the corner in series four isn't really in barry it's in newport because it's right next yes. to the newport transporter bridge you know it, it, it's it, i think being human as a show is that you can just suspend that disbelief yeah, for, a, for, for that bit because of course it's set in real places like I know because I know I've had that on other shows that are set in fictional places and uh, obviously you're using real locations and it's funny when audiences go oh well that would never work <laughs> you know you can't cross that bridge and end up in Blackpool that makes no sense but it's like well it makes no sense to three people but 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 well actually actually if you've done a good job of as you said building the world of the show and and you know pulling your audience into that then then uh, you know hopefully they're not, <laughs> they're not picking holes in those things in in terms of being a director on being human or any other show do you find there's a sense of control to it or how how do much do you feel you have to stick to the script or be oh, faithful yeah, well, well, you know the the yeah I mean yeah control I think so much I mean so many directors have said it but but so much is in the planning and in pre production and um, and I feel that you you know you you prep it and prep it and prep it you know exactly how it's going to come together but then allow yourself a little bit of a bit of leeway for you know the happy accidents things that happen on set you mm. know and. Um, 
you know, on the on the the on the show, you know, on the show we were shooting last year, uh, we couldn't do a scene, an exterior scene because it was raining. But we so we sort of jumped and did it in a kind of boat shed that was had a view out. So actually, uh, it, it had a really nice atmosphere and, and and worked for that scene. And it's something that we wouldn't have done had the weather not scuppered plans. Yeah. You know, so um. Uh, you know, and so it's things like that, or it could be, you know, and I, you might think, well, I'm going to shoot this scene with these two actors sitting down, and then, and then actually, when you start to rehearse it, there's a different energy when they're standing up, and so uh, they're, they're they're small things, but you know, b- bigger things can change as well. But I think with the preparation and the planning, what it does is it fo- it makes you focus on what are the key things in the scene, what's important, what can you not let go of. You know, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter whether we do this indoors or outdoors, but you absolutely must, you know, one, one character must absolutely push one character to another place. So, you know, you got as long as you, as long as you hang on to the uh, the key things. And that's why I always, in prep, make sure I have a really good page turn with the writer. Yeah. Um, you know, so because I, I want to make sure that I know their intent in every scene and, and that if something happens like that, that I know, uh, you know, I make sure that I'm protecting the, the, the things that are most important. That's it. In, ter- in terms of before you go into sh- actual shooting, how much is the discussion with the writer or the rest of the crew about tone or atmosphere or what you, what you, you need know, from the scene? A lot, a lot, actually. Um, you know, very early on, I will start to pull out reference images um, and things that sort of... T- sort of help sort of illustrate the tone of the show and show to people so so and then I would sort of um, fine tune that with a production designer and a, and a director of photography and um, and you make sure that your you know your writers and your exec producers are all on board and you go and and if they feel oh well maybe not quite that but but it could be something a little different and you you so I would present then a, a, a kind of a mood board I suppose yeah. of here's what the show is I, I tend to break it down to a couple of core, a couple of core things maybe there's characters or maybe it's locations or maybe it's um, moods or whatever but but it's like everything in the series will will be inspired to a greater or lesser degree by by these kind of images Um not inspired by the images, but you can the the, the references for it, um, and you want everyone to be on the same page. I think it's a recipe for disaster if you've got a writer who sees it one way, and a director just goes off and does something different. Yeah. I think you know you're going to end up with a lot of conflict and not actually, you know, people 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 pushing in different directions, which just you know, it doesn't make for a good show, I think. No, and I've always think that it must be such a hard thing for a writer to hand over their work because when you read a book, when you write something, everyone's got their own, you know, almost like their own film or their TV show yeah. going in head as they're enacting it out. So for a writer to hand that over and go, I want you to put this on screen, that's a really big thing to do. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's why... The recruitment is such a key part of, of our job, you know, um, in terms of, you know, writer and producer hiring a director, in terms of director putting a crew together, in terms of casting. Um, it's it's really important that you've got people who 
perceived the same way, particularly in key creative positions. Um, who people are on board with the overall vision. Yeah, their visions are aligned, I guess. Uh, for a relatively small show in terms of budget and things, it does appear, I don't know whether I'm right or wrong on this, that there was a lot of location shoots and sometimes night shoots. Considering, I mean, from what I hear about night shoots, they are pretty expensive. and Yeah, there, there was, I mean... Yeah, it's a while ago now, so night shoots probably weren't as expensive. Um, but yes, there was a certain amount of night shoots. There would have still been, you know, the budget would have been, the budget would have would have been tightly managed on being human because we had to really make the most of our resources. Uh, you so so, but we but we we did have things when we needed them. You know, like if you, if it needed a night, like again, Toby's a very um, production conscious writer as well. He like. Even in the storylining, there would only have been as many nights as were achievable for the budget of the yeah. show. And if there was, if it was, you know, if 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 that was under pressure, you know, we it would go, you know, go well. Does this really need to be night? And if it did, then things would have to be compromised. I remember, I remember, probably on I think it was on season five, we had a schedule on the wall, and we had. You know, a couple of days where we really light, like you know, two-page days or something. And but we thought, well, we it, it, that was things like uh, you know, Hal and Tom in the pub at the beginning, or or the deserted streets going through Cardiff, and it was like, okay, well, we need we need time to achieve these things to the level that we want to achieve them. Now the payoff for that is okay. Well, we know that there's other days where we're going to have to shoot seven or eight pages. In, in of dialogue mm. scenes, and we're prepared that we can do that fast, but but let's protect the set pieces. Um, yeah, that was something that was sort of always, I guess, always a factor. What are on that? And what would are more difficult to film? Say a scene with lots and lots of dialogue, or a big set piece action moment? What what is more challenging? Yeah, well, it depends. It, 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 they're just different, um, you know, because and and. Your your series might actually live or die more on on an emotional scene between two characters in a you know in a in a room rather than your big set piece you know because actually that's what's you know it's it's engaging with the characters is what's taking the audience through, um so so uh, they're just different and and sometimes you know if you've got a big scene you're talking about scheduling if you've got a big scene between you know a couple actors you might actually want to factor in some rehearsal time on that day to to take because what you don't want is uh, actors you're wanting actors to deliver a really special performance for a key scene you do not want them to feel like they're under time pressure you want to feel you want them to feel comfortable enough um that they can just concentrate on on what they're doing and not be looking at a clock or not worried about not having enough takes uh, that kind of thing. So, so uh, that's that's like in a way they're almost more critical. Obviously, big more set pieces are are difficult in a different way because you may not have you may have a small window of time on a big lo- public location, or you may have one go or two goes at a big stunt or or a complex shot. Yeah, I mean, or 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 you've got 
you know, I'm thinking of say the 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 nightclub scene in, in making history yeah. where you've got you know a load of extras like okay you can have this many extras the budget is stretched to get this many extras but we got them for one day so we have to achieve and that's a big scene because a lot goes on it's like we have to get everything that's again you're back to your planning plan the hell out of it know the shots that we need um and and just make sure you you get it and also like you mentioned that uh walk down through cardiff through the yeah. empty streets that must have taken such planning and been of limited time because obviously if it's done at a certain time in the morning then everyone else starts waking up and it... yeah that was that was funny. that was a very early start yeah and it was actually on a sunday so the businesses would have been closed um and uh we had that car crash faked and uh, an ambulance actually came along and and thought it was a real car crash <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to convince them it's like look there's a camera <laughs> <laughs> see that's how realistic you were there you go yeah yeah method <laughs> <laughs> um did you take a difference in approach in terms of going to a supernatural show like being human to the other work you've done um i think like i said it, it, it does free you up a little bit because you you know, there's situations in being human where you you know you could use a slightly madder wide-angle lens or or uh, an unusual camera angle that that might not be appropriate on on something that was more straight, I suppose. Um, you know, at the same time, at the same time, I think there's a lot like, there's a lot of being human that is very grounded, mm. and that's and it, and the characters are, and it, you know, and that's the sort of the the, the whole idea, and I think that that it's choosing your moments for the for those kind of like i say odd lenses or funky shots and and but 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 at times when you need to be grounded with the characters that you're 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 in there as well and um, but there's definitely the supernatural elements definitely allowed for uh good challenges to come up with sort of fun ways to sort of shoot it i guess and and uh you know, in terms, yeah, you, you have obviously you have all of all of the the supernatural elements of the ghost, werewolf, and vampires, but again, limited resources. It's it's funny the ghosts, the, and like very very little visual effects. You know, and hmm. um, like a lot of the effects are very simple, really, and I think that helps it maybe not have aged too badly because. Uh, it's rare that there was there was sort of visual effects, but like obviously the ghosts, rent a ghost was very simple. Um, the vampires, the vampires getting killed or getting stayed is is like again it was all usually practical stuff, yeah. very very basic. But but the art department used to come up with sort of genius things with fishing line and piles of dust, you know, to come up with come up with great stuff every day. And and then so the, the one place where money had been really spent was the werewolves. And Millennium Effects did the you know the, the the werewolf costume with the with the sort of uh, you know radio control head and 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 then all the prosthetic makeup bits that were in between. So that was a real like a werewolf. A day of a werewolf transformation was a big that was a big time consuming day. Yeah. That was that was well, what you would do is you build in you build in time for those makeup changes and and shoot other things in between. Oh really? So once. Was it like a second a second unit, or is it you're you're doing a certain amount with the werewolf and then going somewhere else? And yeah, exactly. So like you, so 
uh, and 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 you know actors would buy into that and and know that they would do their scene backwards or you know in bits. I remember my first ever experience of uh, the werewolf makeup was I remember coming in on the morning we were shooting uh, Herrick and McNair in the attic. And I bumped into Robson Green in the car park with werewolf prosthetic face on. <laughs> I completely threw it. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, I thought makeup was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, you would tend to, as far as I remember, we used to work backwards. And they, so he'd come in, they'd come in early. Whoever was getting werewolfed would come in early, get their prosthetic face on. Uh, and you would shoot that bit first because it took the longest to apply. But then, once you'd shot that bit, they'd go away and you'd shoot something else while they got the previous layer of makeup on, which was, yeah, maybe hair and contact lenses and teeth. <laughs> um, and then you'd shoot that and then maybe you'd do it. You always had, there were elements, there were this, again, there was the more, the sort of puppetry elements we had with the stretching jaw and the, and the heels and stuff. So you could shoot those bits in between. Um, and then obviously the guy, the guy, there would be a creature performer in the in the suit, which is a sort of different thing altogether. Are you always so again? It's back to back to cobbling the jigsaw together. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I always found like with the werewolf transformations in the show, they kind of evolved because with George and Nina, it was always a battle against being supernatural because they were so human, mm. and yet and and the the prospect of going into transformation was scary and hideous whereas then the show evolved into the transformations became less of a thing because tom and mcnair were seasoned professionals in it so then i guess the 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 well transformations the peril had to be they had to be in a different location or a different situation rather than the fact that they were changing yeah, you know just into a well yeah yeah, yeah the, rather than the trolls to them as a yeah. as a as a human, yeah, because it was funny because because the three the three sort of that I had really were McNair before he gets killed by Herrick, um, uh, Tom in in the in the nightclub, uh, and then Bobby, yeah, uh, which was which was that was a more stressful like maybe that was hark back to that a little bit where it was a real it felt like it was a danger to him. Yes. Or a trauma for him, I suppose. Yes, that's it. Yeah, and and I don't, I mean I love that McNair transformation. We're we're covering it in the next episode. That is so good. And yeah. and again, I think there's they've done a slight something slightly different with the makeup, and maybe that's to portray that he's much more confident and much more. I'm a werewolf, and this is happening now. Yeah, yeah, and he he embraces it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, you joined the show on though the heavens fall and the wolf shaped bullet which are two huge episodes. Did you feel any pressure knowing the magnitude of, well, firstly, what was going on and also the Aiden fallout? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I say I was a fan of the show. I haven't watched the first two series. Um, and I remember, I remember I got the scripts for episode seven and eight. And it was before I started prep. You know, I had the scripts at home and I thought, oh, I better read these. I must read these scripts. And it was a bit late, and I thought, oh, you know, I'll read one, I'll read the other one tomorrow. And I got to the end of, yeah, that episode seven, Dollar Dollar Heaven's Fall, where they take the photograph in the police station. Yeah, I love it. 100% had to pick up that next script and keep reading. (laughs) Um, 
So I don't think there was like I'm not sure that there was more pressure. It was there was there was um, you know as aware it was a very successful show and I liked the show and it was a pr- sort of I guess a bit of pressure there that you, you're you're you know you're joining a successful show and and the challenge is can you join it and you know. First of all, don't mess it up, and second of all, can you can you you know bring some more to it? Can what can you bring to it that's you know that's, that's not been there? And uh, you know, in terms of Aiden, I I'm, that I think it had been decided uh, over the course of that series that I think they had that they uh, had decided that Aiden was was gonna gonna move on. And I, as far as I remember, I, I could be wrong with this, but as far as I remember, it was it was Aiden. Who said, okay, it, you know, don't just write me out that like, oh, Mitchell leaves and he might come back. He goes to the old ones and we could come back. If I'm gonna go, let's go with a bang, you know, do yeah. something big and you know, kill him. Um, so uh, and then because I don't think he'd been cast in the Hobbit. I, as far as I remember, there was when we were shoot, we were in Newport again in the abandoned swimming pool filming where the dog fights were, you know, we would shot up there. I remember coming back in the car with Aiden, and he said, oh, I've got my next job. Um, I'm going to New Zealand to do The Hobbit, you know, and he, and he was so excited about it. Um, so, but, he had, but obviously he had decided to move, to move on at that stage, or, or, yeah, I guess they decided. So, so um, yeah, then I suppose that brought, I mean, it's not so much about the pressure. It's more. It's about it. I guess how you know it's going to be a big, significant ending to the series. You know, you know it's a end of an era, I suppose, on the show. Um, which is saying a lot. But it's only you know, it's only whatever three series. Yeah. Um, but really, yeah, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, and it was. A, I mean, it was a big deal shooting. Fairly, it must have been fairly near the end of the shoot, and it was it was definitely emotional for the cast as well. I know. I also think it's fairer for a character to for Mitchell. I mean, the storyline was leading to him dying anyway, but I think it's fairer also for yeah. And I think it's also fairer. I think because I, as far as I understand, it, series four was already commissioned anyway for anyone. And, and you know speech marks replacing Mitchell because yeah. everyone you know everyone would be like well Mitchell's going to come back Mitchell's going to come back and that if he'd gone to Bolivia or something we're like well yes. Mitchell's going to come back and that wouldn't have been fair on the new cast or yeah that's interesting I think you're probably right I think um, and I think obviously the characters that came in the in the new you know in Hal Tom and Alex are not like Mitchell Annie and George that helped yeah. Take a bit of weight off them uh, uh, to not feel like they were they were replacing them or they had to you know live up to them. It felt like it was an evolution of the show. <laughs> there was one moment um, I was out. I was watching. I can't remember what block it was. Whether it was yours or Philip J- John's block on series five, and um, it was outside Honolulu Heights, and they they were just re- ready to set up for a shot. And they literally came down the hill a big old van of saying Mitchell potatoes. And and I think Damien clocked that a couple of people looked at it, and he Damien shouted like jokingly, "He's dead, guys! Get over it!" Oh, brilliant! <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but that's actually talking about talking about uh, you know having that series four commission and the pressure at the end of that. 
one of the things that was so exciting about coming to do series five was knowing that it was it was the end. Yes. I think Toby Toby has said that it was, you know, he was really happy that he got to the show didn't just not get recommissioned. He got to write an ending, which is that was really exciting. Um, you directed Making History, which is uh, generally speaking a fan favorite for most people. Was it as challenging as it looks with all the different time zones and complicated personal relationships between the characters? Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot going on. and But again, it's just the planning. You know, Toby's scripts are so good. You know, the, the, it happens sometimes on shows that, you, you know, the scripts aren't, you know, they aren't quite ready in time or things don't quite add up and sometimes or things aren't quite clear and sometimes you'd be on set and an actor will go, yeah, I'm not really sure about this line or what's, why I'm doing this and you sort of figure it out there or, or sometimes you're in the edit and you go, yeah, this scene isn't quite delivering the way we hoped or th- things aren't quite working. You've got to try and recut things a little bit to make it land or or, or sometimes you'll, you'll recut something to, to make it mean something differently. But Toby's scripts... Uh, you know, and I've been I've been lucky with a, a lot of the writers I've worked with, but but Toby scripts in particular, are, you know, are are tight and good, and and so when you, you you know you can plan it and it follows through. So so in prep you're breaking down again the scheduling, the planning of you know uh, Eve and Annie in the future, the Cutler Hal, you know both timelines. Yeah, it's, you just you just you just sort of plan the hell out of it. Then obviously, obviously there were plans. I, I I'm I, I'm really happy with with some of those transitions. I, I love yeah. that you know they, they push a door open in love it yeah yeah 2010 and then they're in 1950. Um, that was really satisfying. But again, the stories. So there's I mean there's loads of elements to that. It's 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 obviously obviously the storylines are written as sort of parallels. But, but then we got to find locations that work that way as well for those moments. Um, yeah, it was challenging, but you you, you plan it out and and uh, yeah, thankfully it all fell <laughs> together. I like the way you you seem to dilute the future of color a bit. You drained it of color, whereas you know a lot of people's vision of the future is everything's better but obviously yeah. you know the vampires have taken over and everything's kind of drained yeah it was a pretty a pretty bleak future um, um and again you wanted to try and make them visually distinctive you know even the 50s stuff is quite warm and um uh yeah and the future is a sort of desolate sort of wasteland a lot of it um so yeah that was just again again it's small Small affordable things that you can do to yeah. try and enhance the production value, and, and uh, yeah, you can do a lot in the grade, obviously. Yeah, and of course, I, like, I guess finding something like purgatory is just finding a long corridor with lots of doors. <laughs> well, there's a few, yeah, yeah, we've had a few of them, yeah, there's a few different ones. In terms of when you direct, is there ever anything in the back of your mind about worrying about things aging quickly, not just in terms of like technology, but in terms of how it looks the cameras you're using or anything because i think like if you look at the first two series of being human now if on dvd there's a slight graininess to them i know technology you can't do anything about but like it is literally like and the from series three what is from series three to series four and five 
the the picture and the and the resolution still stands out now really well. Yeah, I mean that's just tech. Yeah, the cameras improving it. I, I don't think there's much you can do about that. You're working with the best cameras that you can at the time, um, and some stuff will hold up and some stuff won't. If you know, I guess stuff shot on film probably probably holds up better a lot of the time than the, the changing video technology. But um, uh, so I think I, I don't think so much about that. I I think you would. It's funny because obviously again, being human, there's a lot of pop culture references. Mm. Um, so I suppose they date things in a way, but but maybe they date them in a fun way that that they're so linked to their time. You know, they're not they're not they're not trying to be timeless. They're just enjoying the the time they're in. Yeah. Um, that's what that's one thing maybe where you would you would keep an eye on it and you go okay if we're going to make a pop culture reference that's you know of the moment then um make it count they're probably not overdone you know they're they're selective i don't think there's a lot of what i would say current pop culture references in being human there's a lot of references to maybe 70s and 80s maybe retro stuff yeah yeah so maybe that i i don't think uh, Generally, being human is, is aged badly at all. I mean, there might be a couple of little things here and there, but like that will happen with with any show, like yeah. in series one or two, like when Annie and George are like talking on the mobile phone, and it's a little flick up Nokia type thing. Know, you know. Funny, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's just crazy. I think if you look at footage from TV and news or whatever from twenty years ago, it looks like it's from the eighties, and know. it's it's yeah. it's just mad how the technology moves on. So, were there many any marked differences between for you the filming of series three to then going to the from going to, from the original trio to series four and five, where it feels like whether it's purposeful or not, there's a different tone, not just through the characters, but maybe through the look of the show as well. I think, uh, yeah, having having a look back at the episodes, I guess probably got a little brighter yeah maybe that was because we couldn't afford night shoes <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, I think I, I'm not sure how conscious that was I you know certainly the idea to have you know Hal at first just Hal or you know Hal and Annie and then a Tom came and then Alex came and and uh, I guess there's a, uh, maybe a warmth to the home and, and a sort of family vibe where whereas in season three they had the cloud of the box tunnel thing hanging over them or Mitchell certainly did um, so maybe that it was just a just a, a, a there was a lighter mood in, in the in the house um, I think series four had a, obviously had a lot more humor in it I think yes yeah, I think that's probably something that's obviously led a bit by the script as well, isn't it? Because yeah, series four yeah, is lighter. That, you know, I was looking back at stuff with Chrome and all that, which is great fun. Um, um, and it, but again, I think the show managed to stay grounded, and, and again, you know, Toby's sort of brilliant balance of of humour in the darkness without without ever undermining the threat. Um, but then I think I think season five went back. I think season five darkened up a bit, if not so much visually than yeah. totally. I think it, I think it with, with a hatch and that hanging over. Um, I think uh, I think that darkened a bit. And, uh, and like so, in terms of, in terms of my approach to directing it, I don't think I 
I don't think I've thought differently. I think you always had, again, the, the, the sort of great thing about being human for me always was that balance of tone and the humour in the darkness. And you you just, you know, depending on the scene or, or sometimes within the scene, you lean to the humour or to the darkness. And, and obviously obviously that's, that's in the writing, but it's a real testament to the actors as well that, that they can, you know... Um, write that without without ever you know feeling feeling awkward yeah that's it like you say about series five you've got a character like crumb but then you've also got a moment where the devil is talking to patsy and her eyes are bleeding and he tells her to go walk in the sea yeah. <laughs> it's... Crumb, you know, at the end of crumb crumb is you know it's it's like as funny as as uh colin Holt is as, as crumb you know at the end at the end, it's just sort of tragic. And then that's the thing that takes you by surprise. Yeah. yeah. Something, speaking of funniness, something that is literally never surfaced is some is outtakes. And I can imagine there must be, like, in a in a box somewhere deep in the BBC archives, some at Being Human outtakes. So there must be some somewhere, mustn't there? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> tapes there were videos of outtakes that were screened at rap parties definitely and um, so they exist somewhere so i don't know whether it's touch paper tv or bbc or whoever can sort of could release those ha- they, uh, hashtag release the re- release the outtakes release the outtakes yeah um but i'm just sorry just to touching on talking about the how the actors i mean uh, uh, you know look um, you know you talk about this in your podcast all the time but 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 the, just the, as a whole, the cast of Being Human are, are, are phenomenal from, from, you know, across the five seasons, I think. You know, we we're, were talking about those two episodes, Though the Heavens Fall and the Wolf-Shaped Bullet yeah. at the end of season three, and just they're all so good. I mean, every, just everybody's so good. I mean, Jason Watkins in particular is just, you know, phenomenal, going from Uncle Billy to Herrick and back to <laughs> Herrick. And... Uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Just all the way through the cast are a pleasure. Is it like something like there's some things you work on you can just sit back and watch them and go bloody hell these these guys are good you know obviously there's vague instructions or they stand there or seeing uh, yeah. seeing those people at work must be a treat. Uh, absolutely. And and as a director, sometimes sometimes the job is 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 not necessarily. Uh, being specific about things sometimes the job is creating an environment where these actors like we said you know feel comfortable to 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 do their best work and and sometimes you need to be confident enough to not get in the way of that yeah let 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 it breathe a bit and yeah do you remember that this is really going to cast your mind back to what do you remember what the last scene that ever was filmed for being human i do i remember the last shot oh and uh, poetically, it was uh, it was that it was the last shot of the show across the mantelpiece. Was it really? Yeah, uh, yeah. That see, that was the last day that that um, yeah. Alex eating the food in the kitchen, and then the three of them sitting down to watch Antiques Roadshow. And the last shot we shot was that little that track across the props on the on the mantelpiece. Wow. So was it literally just like you and then a couple of other people in the room and that? You know, some of the crew have been there from the very beginning. Yeah. I think a lot of the art department, you know, some of the ADs have been there since season one. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the cast. I'm sure the cast hung around. I can't remember. Um, 
because it was it was effectively the end of that scene. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, you but, know we were the crew were definitely there. And was that scene filmed on the same day? Yeah, I think that was. Ah. I think we, sh- we shot that scene and them sitting down on the, and then then turned around and shot the mantelpiece. Wow, as far as I remember. That's <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, yeah, nice. So you are, as you've worked with Toby before, because you directed a uh, couple of Doctor Who episodes that Toby yeah. wrote as well. You are working on another. Can Sorry. I give a plug to the game. I, I think the most. The game, yes, of course. Underrated show in the history of television. I just think it's it, it was such a great show. It was, uh, and again, an incredible cast, brilliant scripts. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a uh, written by Toby. Uh, Brian Cox as the head of MI5, 1972 Cold War, but just brilliant. Uh, six-parter, which went out on BBC Two, um, and and amazingly is not anywhere. You know, it's not on. You know, not on iPlayer either. No, it even can't, can't go and dig it out. It's it, even at the time, that seemed to just go under the radar for some reason. Yeah, well, it got scheduled in, in, up against. It ended up being up against the general election, which was a bit. Oh, of, did it? Yeah. Uh, so I think critically it went down quite well, but but just yeah, just didn't yeah didn't didn't do do well. I think in terms of viewers. Well, whatever, whatever happened to Brian Cox anyway? Nothing came of him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's he's done all right. Now, um, yeah, so you're working with Toby again on a new show that's coming out this year called The Red King. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and I know you're going to be vague because you have to be. What can you tell us about The Red King? Well, I can tell you. I can tell you a little bit. It's it's um, it's a folk horror mystery thriller. Um, it has definitely got the Toby's nice tonal mix of you know humor and and, and darkness. Um, it stars Anjali Mohindra as Grace, who is a very uh, by the book sort of letter of the law uh, police officer, um, and she gets sent. She gets sent on a punishment posting to uh, to a little island uh, where she sort of, I guess, rubs people up the wrong way by by digging into a digging into a case that wasn't investigated particularly well. Um, uh, she starts to rub people up the wrong way, and what start out as the amusing quirks of the islanders huh. quickly become more sinister. And you're just wrapping up on on that job now. So I'm currently in. Uh, we're just doing the sound mix for uh, uh, in my episodes. I'm directing uh, one to four, and Lisa Clark has directed five episodes, five and six. Um, and uh, they're aiming for a spring transmission on Alibi. Oh, amazing spring! So it's not too far away then. Not too far away. Yeah, really excited. It's been, again, a brilliant cast. Where we shot, uh, it's set in an island off the coast of Wales, but we shot in Northumberland over the summer. Some stunning locations up there. Uh, there you are, lying with your locations again. Honestly, people will be start, people will be writing the in. TV, the magic of TV. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you very much for that, Daniel. Not at all. Many thanks to Daniel for coming on the podcast. So yes, though the heavens fall. The next episode, the penultimate episode of Series 3. And can you believe it? We are nearing the end of our time with the original trio. Uh, that will be out in the next full moon next week. If you would like to help the pod along with a little bit of funding, 
you can go to coffee.com slash box tunnel pod uh links will be in the show notes and that just gives an extra little helping hand to the running costs of uh this podcast you can like and subscribe on whatever app of choice you are listening on uh, follow they all have different terms wherever you are um daniel actually mentioned uh the fact that i'm not on apple podcasts and a couple of people have mentioned this to me i'm trying to get it on apple podcasts i haven't tried for a while it has been a bit of a faff sorting that out i will get it done at some stage just blame apple okay you can follow the podcast on twitter at box tunnel pod on tumblr at box tunnel pod as well and on facebook and instagram we are the box tunnel survivors group we'll sign out as we sign in with Dog Scratched Deer by Henry's Funeral Shoe. See you next full moon. was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks.